Uh, if you'll stand with me, we'll continue in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3. Read verses 7 through 11. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for your word, the blessing of your word, comfort of your word, correction and the conviction of your word. We ask, Lord, that you would be gracious and patient with us, Lord, as you teach us from your word. I ask that you would use me as an instrument of your grace, that anything that I'm saying this morning would be born of the Spirit, communicated in boldness and truth. I pray, God, that you would uh, protect me from error and hide me behind the cross and allow people to respond to the wondrous things that we'll talk about today with praise, with a, a true expression of worship. We thank you, God, because you're good and you've never failed. And those things we can trust and rely on remind us continually as we listen and hear from you this morning. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to just um, give a quick announcement that there will be a hymn sing. We'll be singing hymns together on May the 7th. So next Sunday at 6.30 p.m., we'll gather here and sing together, sing of the Lord's goodness, sing songs that bring him praise. So mark that in your calendars. If you're able to come, it'll be a beautiful time just to celebrate Jesus together. Now, in the weeks leading up to this particular passage, we spent a great deal of time unpacking explicit Christology, study of Christ, expounding on the greatness of Christ, understanding something or some measure of how good he is and how powerful he is, how majestic he is, how sovereign he is. Chapters 1 and 2 go into ton of detail about these specific facts that we should consider with great reverence. These verses speak to the nature of Christ, and hopefully we've been able to develop a theological framework for Christ's divinity as well as his humanity, his divinity and his humanity, Christ 100% God, Christ 100% man. We've begun to explore who this Jesus is and why he is better, unpacking truths that he is the final prophet, words that have been prophesied about him are fulfilled in him, and he declares these things in completion to help us understand why they were spoken and how they will be bringing glory, how they will bring glory to the Father. We understand that he is greater than any created being. He is the heir of all creation. He is God. We also have heard and considered that he has suffered for us. He suffered for us because 
as a sinful people, we needed a suffering Savior in order to take on the weight of sin, in order to free us from the consequence of sin. He must suffer a death that is ultimately the atoning sacrifice that we needed. So as we look through these verses and we truly consider Jesus, we look closely at this Jesus, we are reflecting on what we have heard, what this writer has gone to great lengths to communicate to us. You find that there is none greater. There there is a better and lasting king who forever is with us. And as we just unpacked last week, we find that Moses wasn't great enough. Even the greatest of people who have conveyed his law, who have conveyed his truth, who have lived as righteous representations of honoring the Lord and walking in holiness, they're not great enough. They are not great enough. Only Jesus is supreme. We've packed our minds with all these things, and hopefully we've allowed our hearts to soak these truths in. What is our response? As we we continue to learn more about Jesus, and we continue to, to pull inward the revelations, these mysteries that are being unveiled to us, what is our response? This is not just information. We hopefully have taken the, this, this traveling path from just hearing information to believing what we have heard is true. And now that we understand and we believe and we have grasped that this is true, what is our response to Jesus, our great King, our suffering Savior, our faithful high priest? Millions of congregation, congregations all over our great country are asking the same question. What is our response? And they're coming up with different expressions communicate the same answer. There's different ways to respond to that. There's different ways to acknowledge this is true and respond. And there are millions of congregations who are responding in different ways. And the same answer is to worship Jesus. That is the answer. What is our response? To worship Jesus. Now this morning... I'd like to ask everyone to specifically think about worshiping Jesus in the response most clearly communicated in singing to the Lord. Now, singing to Jesus and thinking about different expressions, you may have been familiar with this term called worship wars, where in different congregations there are people who may feel as if they have the full and perfect expression of worship in singing and in song and stylistic expression. And then that comes into conflict with another church. And that comes into conflict with another church. And before you know it, there are these competing versions of church where you come to a church for a specific style or you come to this church because you enjoy this experience. And and it fleshes itself as if there are competing forces working against one another. 
Again, the answer is the same, worship Jesus. But these competing forces give some level of emphasis that somebody is doing it right and someone else is doing it wrong. Without dumping out all the messiness or even taking time to rummage through our own personal baggage, let's just look at this expression of singing as a response. And see that that response is a powerful thing. But it begs the question, is all singing in church or, or in religious environments as we study the text and we hear about Jesus, is all singing that you hear in each body worshiping God? Is every time you hear a chorus of folks singing words that you may see on a screen or you may have memorized, is it all worship unto the Lord? See, with singing, you can create this inspirational image. You can control the crowd. And I've heard in some ways it's communicated that you can change an atmosphere. Again, we have to ask the question, is this worshiping God? And in our singing, what or who are we responding to? These are important questions because if we're honest... We maybe personally can admit or maybe we have seen that the responses in singing are, are akin to looking at a particular type of presentation and saying, I prefer it to be done that way, so I respond to that. Or, or I like this style, so this is what I'm responding to. Or I like the way this looks, so I think that I'm going to give my all today, or I'm going to give my all in this particular song. And the challenge should be in all expressions, in all environments, in all definitions or presentations of singing in the context of worship, we should be thinking on Christ. But instead, it's oftentimes it must be the right song with the right words at the right time, with the right key, with the right voice, with the right instruments. It's so amazing how subjective that is for every person. What is the right, right, right for every person? It varies so differently. And how do we solve this? How are we looking at this particular text in having a conversation about praising God and singing to him. Some of you may have read these words and braced yourselves. Oh, today, it's, it's time for a rebuke today. But as we look at these words, we understand that they did not just originate here. First, they originated in the mind of God, the intention of God. And they communicate something grander than our own conclusions can draw. And hopefully, as we investigate this text, we find that answer that we may be looking for. What does it mean to respond to God and worship? Or what is our response in light of this Jesus that we've studied? Hopefully, we're able to travel to a place where we abandon personal preferences. We turn to an express posture towards a person. 
where Jesus Christ becomes the object of our worship. Because when that's so, it's amazing what we'd be willing to sacrifice. It's amazing when we just look for Christ, some of the preferences that fall to the wayside, when we're just looking for the truth about Jesus in an expression. It's amazing what you will give up just because you see some glimpse of who he is and his glory and that being expounded and that provoking you to respond. Not your favorite song, not your favorite style. I wish I had this band. I wish they did it in this way. But Jesus remaining glorious now and forever. So here in this text, starting at verse 7, 3 verse 7, you've been hearing kind of this Hopefully, you've been hearing this recurring thing where we arrive in a place, but we continue to go back. We arrive at a place, we keep going back to chapter 1, or we keep going back to chapter 2, and then we get to chapter 2, and then we go back to chapter 1. And it's, it's kind of maybe redundant for some folks. Like, why do we keep going back? Well, because the text commands us to go back. And again, we arrive, verse 7 We have a reason to go back. It begins with the word, therefore. Where did we just come? We came from this exhortation that Moses, in all his glory, could not match the glory of Christ. So in understanding that truth and acknowledging that the glory of Christ overtakes Moses in the same way that the the glory cloud completely surrounded Moses in communication with God, we understand that, we acknowledge that, we see the greatness of Jesus in that. Therefore, what we see here is so wonderful. It's important to note that while the the writer is in the following verses quoting from a different text somewhere else in Scripture, he's indicating without citation of said Scripture that the Holy Spirit is the speaker. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, The Holy Spirit is quoted here. No matter where we may rack our brains with, where is this passage coming from? The Holy Spirit is speaking the word of God. Present tense, past tense, eternal sense. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. And again, we're we're met with this implicit reality. In these texts is the triune God from the Father we find in verse 2 of chapter 3 where we see that he has been appointed by someone, that Jesus was appointed. He was faithful to him that he was appointed by being the Father, sending him on mission, Jesus being the representation of the faithful servant, the faithful high priest. And now we arrive at verse 7 and the Holy Spirit speaks these words brings finality to God's word. These following words are a portion from Psalm 95, which is a psalm of praise. Now, every Jew or former Jew, whoever had been converted out of Judaism, was likely very 
very acquainted or intimately acquainted with this passage. It was used to initiate a call of worship every Sabbath evening. That today, if you hear his voice, was a call to initiate regular worship, assembly in the synagogue, the emphasis being to arrest the attention of the hearers and listen to the word of God. And again, these verses may not look praiseworthy in recounting Israel's ugly past. We read here that we're hearing about the rebellion, the testing in the wilderness. Their fathers had put God to the test and He was provoked towards that generation and essentially telling them that they would not enter into the promised land. Read these verses, and that doesn't seem praiseworthy. That doesn't seem like something that inspires joy. But I want to invite everyone to just turn to Psalm 95. Tony read it earlier. And what I like to do is read the verses that precede this quotation. Psalm 95, and we'll read verses 1 through 7. And they read as follows. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountain are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his verse, hear his voice, comma. Now, just reading these words is a fitting pause to all that we have just considered in the first two chapters. Everything that we have expounded upon about Jesus is not just information to be collected. But the more we sit and we think and we allow these truths to travel into our heart, the natural response of the believer should look something like this. To make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. To acknowledge that our Lord is a great God. A king above all gods. We're able to contextualize what is being communicated after that because what we see, what we see in this psalm should be something that in any expression of praise and singing and worship and gathering in the congregation, in any expression of that, we are putting together what it looks like to worship before God in all of its elements. Congregational worship should carry all of these types of characteristics. Congregational worship 
is joyous. It is solemn. It is reflective. It is hopeful. It is celebration. And it is repentant. It is all of these things. So as we consider what happened in the wilderness, we must understand that what preceded what's communicated and what's convicting about, the uni- about what happened in the wilderness is a God who declares his faithfulness, his truth, his glory, and the people respond to him in all that he is. So that in considering the ways that they have rebelled from him, in considering the ways that their fathers failed in their displays of devotion and faithfulness to him, in considering all those things, they can still praise him because he has not changed. He has remained. He is still glorious. Oftentimes we can look at this text and we say, those poor fathers, those poor people who perished in the wilderness. Well, those people are still God's people. There's not a removal of the the love and the faithfulness and and the, the devotion that God has to these people. These are the people that Moses interceded for. There's there's not this do away with them and they no longer exist. Just because they were disciplined by a faithful God doesn't mean that they were displaced from his grace. And as we understand something of ourselves in those rebellious, stubborn people, we're reminding by the preceded, reminded by the preceded verses that these praises belong to the people of God. He is our God and we are his people. We are partakers. And this is congregational worship for God's family. God is talking to his people. Just as Hebrews 3, 1 begins, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share the heavenly calling, God is talking to his people. The Holy Spirit speaking in these verses, as it says explicitly in verse 7, the Holy Spirit speaks to quote Psalm 95. The same Holy Spirit speaks to confirm the truth about Jesus in Hebrews. The Holy Spirit speaks to us to help us understand who Jesus is. Our response is to praise him. It is to praise him with singing, to enter into his presence with gladness. It is to respond with thanksgiving and joyous worship. This entire psalm is a response to a great God. The psalm says, don't be stubborn like the people in the wilderness who are continually doubting and questioning God, but praise him for his marvelous works. We find ourselves there. We find ourselves doubting and questioning and wrestling with the whys and the who's and the when's and the what's. And this doesn't make sense, God. God says, stop looking at this angle of faith that maybe you're trying to figure out and look at my marvelous works. 
respond to who I am, the greatness that I've always been, the fact that you now know my son. My son is glorious, radiant, showing everything that you should see about God, and he is suffering servant to purge you from all iniquity and all sin. He sits on the right hand of the majesty on high, interceding for you. Your response to that is what? To praise him. To lift up your voice to him. Not to a preacher, not to a concept, not to a construct, not to a theological framework that you can conceive, but to this great God who declares his works to you. And generations and generations are seeing this same faithfulness. One translation of this text in Hebrews, which quotes Psalm 95, says, Do not be stubborn like they were in Meribah, like they were that day in Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors challenged my authority, tried my patience, even though they had seen my work. Challenged my authority, tried my patience, even though they had seen my work. Doesn't that sound familiar? Where we decide that we know more than God, more than God at certain times. Where we try his patience, hearing faithfully what the word of God declares to us and deciding to go our own way. And yet, we have all seen his work. We have all seen, tasted, and seen what he has done. The writer is encouraging us to stay in that first portion of the psalm, leading into an understanding of what happened to those who rebelled. Sing those praises to our great God as you are seeing him work specific things out in your life, as you are constantly beholding the gospel in its work. It's Jesus that we just considered. Contend that this text is giving us an opportunity to pause and respond to his glory. In our worship services, let us sing praises. Let us worship. Or how about this novel idea? Let us bow before God. That is a a physical expression that, you know, sometimes we may feel a bit awkward about. It's also a, a willful submission in our minds and our hearts to the glory and the lordship of this great God. Or how about this type of mindset coming to congregational worship, arriving on Sunday mornings with a praise on our lips? Not because life is great all the time, but because Jesus never stops being worthy. 
So when we come in and we're thinking about all the baggage that we, we bring into congregational worship or when we walk in and we say, man, it's been a tough week. I'm just, I just barely made it here today. I almost didn't come. We transition into the thought process to say, but Jesus has been good. God has been faithful to our family. God has been faithful to me. God has continually showed his marvelous and mighty works in my life. So that by the time the music starts, it's not incumbent on the leader or the praise leader to push you into another realm of understanding about who God is. And then the words start to make sense by maybe halfway through the third song. But your mentality already has been prepared to receive the truth of the gospel so that when you see the truth on the gospel on the screens or when you're listening to a song that you have recognized from your past or that you're familiar with, your hearts are already bubbling over so that the praise explodes from your lips. Now maybe explodes is a strong word. But something... This is, this, this is the easiest part of applying Christianity. To have tasted and seen what God has done and to respond in praise. We were literally created to praise him. Everything that has breath must praise the Lord. I, I don't seek to convict anyone. I just want you to think about Jesus. And praise him. Next verses that will come is this, this reality that we have, we have come to share in Christ. We have come to share in Christ. I see brothers and sisters, we have come to share in Christ. I don't have to conjure up joy for that. That's real. That is true. When I look at you, I see somebody who will dance with me in a place that my mind can't conceive because we will see him for who he is and we will be changed. And then that celebration will not be limited by my mind, by my physical state. I will be able to express to him something that this body can't contain. We've heard about his splendor and his kindness towards us expressed one time and yet forever begs the same questions that we'll see in the Psalms. Psalms 116, 12 says, what shall I render unto the Lord for all of his rich benefits to me? What shall I give him for all that he has done for me? Psalm 100, where it says, serve the Lord with gladness. The deacon's got to turn the air conditioner on with gladness. That one kid that you're not necessarily happy about coming and joining you in that class with gladness. Getting up in the morning to practice these songs that we may have nominal response to with Gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. 
enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. I understand why people don't like to spend times in the Psalms because if you're not doing that, then that could be convicting because all this person can conceive, whoever is writing these Psalms, this person, all they can conceive of God is concealed in the law. And yet they are writing verses upon verses to where landing smack dab in the middle of the canon with the largest book in the Bible. And their praises to our king. It's the same God of the wilderness. And yet he's carrying us through the dry seasons. He's carrying us through the difficulties. He's carrying us through the droughts. He's carrying us through the hardships. He's not just say, go make it. I'm going to give you a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire to follow. He's not just saying that he's filling us and bringing us to our destination that he promises. The same God fulfilled in Christ, living in us, giving us a hope and an expected end with our minds, with our hearts, and with our lips, let us worship Christ. And consider this, that there are many who attend churches on Sunday mornings who know nothing of this Jesus, who know only religious formality, who only know what their parents made them do. And when they come on Sunday mornings, and those of us who are the true followers of Christ, Do not express in light of all he has been doing for us. What do they think? What is their takeaway? When we do not praise God with our lips, when we do not think upon him in light of our praise, what are those who who are indifferent about life circumstances, what do they think about this Jesus who we preach and proclaim? You ask, do we want to just fill all of our aesthetic desires before we become filled with the Spirit? I'm not saying it's either or. We can sing songs that we like. We can have preferences. Those aren't bad things. But they're not primary things. I don't look for my favorite song all the time. I don't look for my favorite style all the time. What I look for and I listen for is, is this true of Christ? Is this true of Jesus? Is his word what we are declaring? And my effort and everything that I am trying to do and constrained to do is to see Jesus and glorify him because he's being glorified. Now, that is a struggle at times, but it is a struggle that's worth it. It is a response that I was made for. And it's an invitation for all of us. I'm not calling you to be someone you're not. I'm calling you to be someone you are. You are someone who sees Jesus. You are one who has the gospel written on your hearts. All you have to do is look and behold 
how glorious this Lord and Savior truly is. Your limbs will begin to move. Your mouth cannot stay closed. It may not necessarily be Jeremiah with fire in your bones and you just can't contain. But there will be something that causes you to respond. As we close service today, I I hope that those are words to reflect upon. The expectation is not to take this last song and burst through the roof. (laughs) It's not it. Just think about Jesus. It's the same exhortation as last week. Consider Jesus. That's what this psalmist is writing about in verses 1 through 7. This is who we sing praises to. This great God who is above all other gods. We are the sheep of his pasture. We belong to him. I ask you to consider Jesus again and offer up a sacrifice of praise. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much just because you're faithful. I thank you that I don't have to conjure up any other reasons to give you glory. You've done everything. I thank you that your word is true, that we can rest in everything that you have said, that the Holy Spirit is still speaking to us. I pray that you would awaken us in illumination of your goodness, your love, your grace. To provoke in us a response that only new creations can truly express. And for those who don't know you, God, I pray that you provoke a hunger and a thirst they may not be able to explain, but Lord, that you can meet. I pray that again that we consider Jesus in all of his glory, perfect God on the throne broken human sacrifice for us, faithful intercessor that does not fail. We thank you, God, that you've given us so many reasons, and as we can sing and have sung 10,000 reasons and forevermore, help us, Lord, to see you in your glory and respond with praise. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.